Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the April webinar. Um, this. Sorry, guys, I'm already having uh, issues with my PowerPoint. <laughs> this month, we're talking about wrap ups, risk reduction schemes that complicate case handling. Uh, welcome. If this is your first time, thank you for coming again. If you followed me in the past months, over the past year and a few months, I've been doing these monthly. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, my name is Tashia Rasul. I am a partner here at Lois Law Firm. Um, I oversee the Construction Defense Practice Group. This is the group where the attorneys and paralegals handle only uh, construction claims, that is workers' compensation claims that arise out of construction accidents. Um, one of the things that we do and that makes us a specialized group is that we work hand-in-hand -hand and very closely with the general liability uh, defense attorneys to uh, facilitate a joint defense. So welcome. I hope you find my webinar very interesting. Um, this is a live webinar. In the end, you'll be able to ask questions and I will provide the answers. If I run out of time, I will be sure to send you an email with your answer or we can even chat about it. So what are we going to discuss today? We are going to talk about wrap-ups. They're OSIPs and CSIPs. We'll talk about the anatomy of wrap-ups, benefits of wrap-ups, coverage issues that arise, unique defenses and issues, and administration and important documents that we need to defend these claims when it falls under a wrap-up policy. Okay, like I mentioned, it is a live webinar. You'll see this little box, I think, on your right-hand side of your screen. You can type your question there. They'll pop up on my end and I will answer them live. All right, so let's get into it. What is a wrap-up policy? Now, here in my office, we are often throwing around the term OSIP. Uh, this is because 99% of the cases, the construction cases that we handle, have an OSIP type of wrap-up policy. When we go to the board, the judges, the board panel, they all refer to them as a wrap-up policy, which is the correct terminology, right? Wrap-up policies refer to um, a type of policy that is site-specific, covers specific kind of work, and is just for a closed period of time. And there is uh, OSIPs, and there is um, a CSIP kind of wrap-up policy. The OSIP is the owner-controlled insurance policy, and the CSIP is the contractor-controlled insurance policy. Like I said, the majority of the cases that we handle are owner-controlled, so I might be using that term more frequently in this, um, in this webinar, but know that I'm still talking about wrap-ups in general. Now, the wrap-up policy, we're talking about one policy um, for a particular employer, but it covers multiple employers on the job site. It covers workers' compensation, general liability, um, sometimes other kinds of coverages are included, but for our purposes, we're going to talk about the workers' comp and, to a certain extent, the general liability coverage because that's what we deal with. Um, they cover a particular employer, but they have to be enrolled in the project, and we'll talk about that a little later in the webinar, and they also cover a specific site. So <clears throat> it may cover, let's say, John Smith Construction, 
it is not for John Smith Construction that is doing work all across New York State. It's only for John Smith Construction that's doing work at a particular location. And we're talking the name of a location, you know, it could be um, uh, a school's being built or some kind of like a commercial building's being built. But we're also talking about specific parameters, you know, the street and the avenue, and nothing outside of those are being covered by the policy. Okay, so the OSIP and the CSIP, like I just mentioned, and these are different from the operational policy. So the term that's usually thrown around in court is general policy, but the proper terminology is operational policy. This is the one that every employer needs in order to function or operate in New York State. It's the one that covers their day-to-day uh, -day activities. So even like us here at Lois Law Firm, we have a workers' compensation policy um, for regular day-to-day -day operations, and that's called the operational policy. When a contractor is properly enrolled in a project and the OSIP or the CSIP or the wrap-up covers them, uh, their operational policy does not come into play when there is an accident that falls within the parameters of the, the wrap-up policy. And this is something we're often hashing out in court. Um, it comes up when we're alleging that the kind of activity that the employer was doing on the job site is not covered by the wrap-up policy. All right. Benefits of a wrap-up. So wrap-ups became popular in the early 2000s. They started with large uh, residential projects and they've moved on to more uh, commercial projects. We've seen a lot of like public entities are using them for their projects. And the main reason there was a shift to uh, creating wrap-up policies is to reduce risk to the owner or to the uh, the general contractor who is taking out the policy. It is great to um, help save money. One of the things you've noticed uh, in my webinar every month, I talk about how to reduce exposure under these wrap-up policies, under the OSIPs. Uh, that's that's one of our goals, right? That's it's construction is expensive. Uh, accidents that arise in construction um, job sites uh, can lead to very high exposure because they oftentimes uh, result in neck and back injuries or like traumatic brain injuries. Uh, whether they're real or not, I mean, that's a discussion for a different day, but the exposure is usually high and um, it, it can be very costly to the employer at the end of the day and the wrap-ups could help to save money in that regard. So. There's also a reduction in litigation costs. Now, for example, a very easy basic example would be subpoenaing the prior records. If it's done on the workers' compensation side, it doesn't necessarily need to be done on the general liability side of things. Um, that saves the, the, the carrier or the owner uh, litigation costs. Um, investigation is usually done on one side and shared on both sides. That is something that also um, uh, helps with the, the reducing exposure in your cases. It also prevents gaps in coverage. So the wrap-up policy is set for a particular, a particular period of time and it guarantees coverage for the, entire, the entirety of the, the, the project. Now, if the employer, let's just say the, the employer, the contractor is required to have their own insurance, you run the risk of there being a gap, right? Whether it's for a cancellation or a non-renewal, 
and then an accident occurs on the job site and who's liable at the end of the day, right? The wrap-up prevents this gap from occurring because it, you know, the wrap-up program knows how long the project is expected to last. Uh, as it's coming on to the end, there's like an automatic renewal, so there's always coverage. Efficient claims handling. <clears throat> so with the, especially with the OSIPs, it's a common owner. Um, even for the CSIPs also, where there's a general contractor, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a there's usually one insurance carrier that's writing the policy, one TPA that's uh, administering the policy, and everyone is communicating, of course, within HIPAA regulations um, about what's going on in the case. And this is like the, the back end of how we uh, coordinate defense between workers' comp and general liability, okay? Um, but, you know, so everyone knows what's going on. Your workers' comp attorney knows what's going on. Your workers' comp adjuster knows what's going on. Your GL defense attorney knows what's going on. And your GL adjuster is also aware of what's going on. So it really helps to prevent duplication of efforts, uh, duplication of, um, uh, like, strategy, and saves time because everyone's always on the same page. Um, there's also, so the overall and the most important benefit of a wrap-up is reduced risk through a uniform safety handling program. So all of my wrap-up clients, the ones that I work with, when they create the wrap-up, there's usually a safety protocol that's in place. Um, it, it's anything from, you know, who to call when there is an accident, where to go, what to do, who to uh, report, report it to. Um, there's also a set investigation company that's assigned to a particular project. So as soon as there's an accident, we know to call them. They go out on the scene. Uh, it, it really, um, everyone's, it really keeps everyone on the same page, and that's why it's really important. And for the reasons I just mentioned, it really prevents duplication of efforts and costs and, you know, helps to reduce exposure. All right. So who's covered under this wrap-up policy? I mentioned, like, the contractor, the employer the, that the claimant would work for. But there are some things that we need to know. So if the contractor is not enrolled, they wouldn't be covered. What does this mean? In order to do work on a project, a contractor would have to sort of filling, uh, fill out an application and send it in. They have to be approved by the wrap-up program. And then when they're approved, there are parameters of the, the approval, right? So the date that they're gonna be on the project, the date they're gonna leave the project, and the kind of work that they're gonna do on the project. Now, there are going to be non-enrolled contractors on the job site. Uh, it happens, and it's because the wrap-ups don't always cover everything that's being done on the job site. Examples, if the contractor is there for under a certain number of hours, they likely will not be covered in the wrap-up. It's usually if they're there for just um, one day to do some small job they're probably not going to be covered. Um, if it's under a certain contract value, it probably wouldn't be covered. Again, if they're there for one day and it's $1,000, they're just going to get paid to get on there, do the work, and leave. 
hazardous materials, hazardous waste is generally not covered in wrap-ups. I'm yet to see a wrap-up that covers things like asbestos removal. And it's really because of the high exposure and the risk of this kind of work um, that wrap-ups don't want to you know, take, take, take that risk. So in a particular, in a situation like that, um, if a company is brought on to the job site to do uh, asbestos removal, that's something we should think about that they're not covered under the wrap-up and that immediately triggers a coverage issue. Now, demolition generally is not covered either. I've seen maybe just one or two wrap-ups that cover demolition, um, but but typically it's not. And you know, so remember with a wrap-up policy, the uh, the broker, the insurance carrier, the owner, everyone who's putting together the policy can actually determine what's going to be covered and what's not going to be covered and uh, you know, evaluate it against like their potential risk and how much they're willing to spend in terms of like uh, um, you know, covering the risk. Okay, so what's one of the complications that arise in um, defending wrap-ups, right? It's coverage. Coverage issues come up all the time. So in the beginning, I mentioned the difference between a wrap-up and um, the operational policy. This is usually one of the issues that come up. Um, <clears throat> many people make the assumption that all of the work and contractors are covered. This is wrong. Like I mentioned, if you're not enrolled or a certain kind of work is not covered in the wrap-up. Uh, something else we have to look at is the actual date of loss. We've seen really weird cases where the claimants, um, and these are like bogus cases anyway, where the claimant is alleging that the accident occurred like the day after the, the project ended or like day before the project uh, started, but they so happen to have been on the project in such close uh, proximity to that date that they're just like, oh, we're just gonna throw a date out there. Uh, then investigating, we learned that the claimant was you know, not on the project in a particular date or the project um, that phase hadn't even started. Um, like you see weird, weird kind of stuff like that with the coverage issues and wrap ups. Also the phase of the project, like after demolition, you know, there's a, like a multiple different kinds of like phases. It, it's, it's a living organism construction sites. And while the, the wrap up policy, the program knows when a particular phase ends, the claimants don't always know when they end. And sometimes claimants are there for multiple phases. So they may be there for, um, you know, let's just say uh, the, the erection of like steel beams on the project and they were there and um, the, the, the work was covered and the employer was covered, but then that phase ended and they remained in the job, set, job site to do something that was not covered and the accident occurred during that period, it would not be covered by the wrap up. All right, so these are a couple of factors that come into play when we're talking about coverage issues and wrap-ups. Um, how do we resolve these issues? So we need all of the documentation that we can get. Certificate of coverage. This is usually a um, like a one-sheet document that gives us snapshots of who the carrier is, uh, the coverage period, the project that's being covered. Um, Sometimes it's two pages long, but it's generally one page. It's also referred to as the deck sheet or the declaration sheet. 
we always request that it's good to have but the full policy is also like better to have because it has all of the details and the parameters um, sometimes it describes a description of the work uh, the, it, des it describes the work type and the location type in more detail than the declaration sheet. Um, project, uh, the policy manual. Every wrap-up program has a policy manual that lays out uh, the purpose of the project, who's going to be in the project, the phases, um, you know, the, the kind of work that's going to be done in the project, how to apply to be enrolled in the project, um, all of the information regarding the safety program, everything that one needs to know about the particular project is going to be in the policy manual. And here also is where we're going to see information about the kind of work that's covered and not covered. And this is important because it's not always spelled out in the actual policy. In fact, underwriters usually tell me it's in the, the binder, it's in the policy binder, but the policy binder is never uh, produced to us and you know we're not able to provide it in court so we're always talking to underwriters about telling us you know what exactly is covered not covered but the policy manual would have this information also so we should always get it you know that's really the terminology that's being used if you're an adjuster ask the um your uh your wrap-up administrator to get a copy and i think your attorney should always have a copy any kind of project completion documents um you know, from things like a simple like punch list showing, you know, it's towards the end and that we're going through all of these things uh, on a particular day when the claimant was there or not there, or any kind of agreement that shows like final payments issued, invoices and so forth. Anything that shows that the project was completed and the last day of work that was done on the job site. Um, the parameters of the project site covered by the policy this is not always in the policy. In fact, I've never seen them in the actual policy. I get this information from the wrap-up administrator or um, just the adjuster who would know the information. A lot of times you kind of have to dig for this information, but the, the, I think the best source is your wrap-up uh, administrator because they know the exact parameters, right? So for example, we're building this new uh, commercial building. We know it's uh, between two particular streets or four, uh, you know, uh, two particular blocks and the avenues. So we know that any accident that happens outside of those parameters wouldn't be covered by the policy. Scope of work covered by the policy, that's usually included in the policy. And one of the things we've been seeing in policies lately, which is amazing, and I think the underwriters are doing a good job with it, is to clearly state in there that any accident that occurs off the job site is not covered by the policy. This is important because there are certain accidents, um, you know, certain accidents under the go in and coming rule or to authorize that coffee break or lunch break that would be covered in normal situations, even though they happen off the job site, but we've been successful in defending against these because the wrap-up specifically says the accident has to occur on the job site, within the four walls of the job site. And in those particular cases, we've seen the operational policy being found liable for the accident that occurs off the job site. So it's really important to know the scope of the work covered by the policy. Um, 
Well, we talked a little bit about the date, location, the exact activity that's being covered um, or being carried out at the time of the accident also. Sometimes we don't get all of this information, but if I had to choose the three things that I need to defend every single coverage issue, it would be the, cert uh, the certificate of coverage, uh, the parameters of the project sites covered by the policy, and the scope of the work that's done. I would say those are the three most important things that I need to defend any coverage issue. Okay. Oh, I spoke ahead of my slides. What else is new? <laughs> All right, so there are four things here. The policy, the certificate of coverage, the policy manual, and the enrollment documents. The enrollment documents I forgot about when I just spoke about them. All right, so let's move on. The next complication that we see are the parties to a wrap-up policy. So let me tell you, when I first started doing these many moons ago, and you know, I look at the policy manual and I see all of these parties and names, I'm like, holy smokes, there's really a lot of parties to a wrap-up. So many moving parts. But listen, it's easy. It's really easy because these wrap-up programs are so good. They set it up in a manner that everyone can understand what's happening, who's who, who's handling what, who you need to call when something happens. It's so easy to follow. The main parties uh, in the wrap-up policy program are the broker, the insurance carrier, and the third-party administrator, or the TPA, the policy holder, the insured, the general contractor. So the broker is the, the one, the firm. <clears throat> you know, there are firms out there that do this. They're the ones that get the deal with the owner or the general contractor to put together this wrap-up policy. Keeping in mind that the insurance carrier doesn't put together the wrap-up program. They are only writing the insurance policy, right? Um, so the broker is the one that's actually putting together the program. Some brokerage firms actually uh, provide um, counseling and advice and risk in addition to just um, putting together the program. So they're more involved. They're usually very heavily involved, actually. Involved to the point where <clears throat> they actually make decisions and how the cases are going to go. They actually... Um, provide authority for settlement, um, you know, anything that we need, surveillance and so forth. We've seen some brokerage firms actually provide those services to their clients. Now, when they have the program, uh, an idea of what they're going to do, they start vetting insurance carriers to underwrite the policy, and then there's a third-party administrator. Now, something to know with the way wrap-ups work in general is that the owner or the general contractor would have a deductible up to a certain amount. In the construction cases, we usually see it up to a million dollars, and that's why you need the insurance carrier beyond a million dollars. And that's why you also see that within that first million dollars, the, um, the owner and the brokerage firm is making most of the decisions. When the carrier, when you go over a deductible, that's when the carrier is more involved in the decision-making. And then there is a TPA who administers the policy. The, the policy holder um, would be, let's say it's the owner, the owner would be the policy holder and the insured would be um, the, the, the contractor that's being covered on the project. And general contractors come into play when it's a CSIP, when it's a contractor controlled 
insurance program. The general contractor is the one that usually partners up with the brokerage firm to uh, create this uh, CSIP policy. So those are the main parties. Um, the additional parties would be like the investigation company, the nurse case manager, um, <clears throat> they, like, like a special company to be on-site for like on-site medic, uh, med pr provide medical treatments on-site. Um, uh, there's usually like IME vendors also assigned to a particular program. Uh, there's a panel of them that would be assigned from the very beginning. Um, there might also be preferred doctors that are selected. Uh, to do uh, certain kinds of uh, IMEs that arise, or the need for which arise uh, from construction claims. So everything's uh, everything's usually set up in the beginning, and we know who's who and who's going to be doing what. And the enrolled contractor, <laughs> they're the insurer. All right. Another complication is unfamiliarity with wrap-ups. This is something we see ever so often, um, almost in all of our cases, all of our denied cases where a coverage issue comes up. Uh, both the claimants and the board are very unfamiliar with wrap-ups, right? Especially the claimants. A lot of them are just brought to the job site, do the work. They don't even know who their employer is. They just see someone wearing a shirt with a John Smith construction on it. And if an accident occurs, they say, well, that guy was telling me what to do when, you know, when the accident happened. So I work for that company. Um, and they certainly don't know, like, if it's a wrap up or an operational uh, policy that's in place. And rightfully so. Right. That's not something that they're usually really attuned to. Um, even some of the supervisors like the foreman or the um, the, the superintendent, they don't really, sometimes don't know what kind of a, a policy covers the project. Um, but, you know, interestingly, the board doesn't really always get what like a wrap up is. And some of the things that we've seen is that the board doesn't understand uh, like the parameters of a wrap up. So we've had cases where it was clear that coverage doesn't belong with the policy I'm defending, the wrap up I'm defending. But because the judge doesn't understand, you know, like the terms of the policy and the parameters of the, the policy, it's like, all right, well, you had coverage uh, from January 1st of uh, 99 to January 1st of 2000, and the accident happened somewhere in between there, so you're going to be liable. I mean, on appeal, it's it that, that's a, a winnable issue in appeal, but I feel like a lot of these appeals could be prevented if judges were a little more familiar with the wrap-up policy. Our job, one of the things that we've been doing is trying to educate the board about how these work. Um, we do this by presenting really um, lengthy arguments of the hearing and then do written submissions ahead of time just so everyone can read them and really understand what's happening. We've seen them get getting better but it's it's still an issue that we see that's really forcing us to keep filing appeals in certain cases. Um, it leads to the wrong carriers being placed in notice. I currently have an ongoing uh, coverage issue where there are 12 carriers being placed in notice. My client is clearly not liable. I've been arguing it at the last two or three hearings. We've presented all the documents and because the judge just doesn't want to deal with it, she says, well, we're going to put it off until um, a further development of the record. I'm not discharging or releasing everyone, anyone from notice at this point. And I think it's just because of, you know, her unfamiliarity with uh, 
the, 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 the program and the policy, and she doesn't want to make any decisions before you know the record's complete, even though it's really complete with just the policy documents that we submitted. And what happens, we've seen cases dragging out. We've seen uh, five, six, seven hearings. A year later, we're still talking about coverage. You know, it, it, it's frustrating for us because our clients' resources are being used up, actually wasted by us keeping on going to these hearings. And then the clients, I mean, uh, at the claimants, you know, most of them have legitimate injuries and they're just waiting for the proper carrier to be like placed in notice so they can, you know, start getting the treatment they need and so forth. So it's really like a disadvantage to them also. And I'm hopeful that one day the board's really going to start understanding how these wrap-ups work and more efficiently make decisions on coverage. <clears throat> all right, guys. So that's all I have for today. I just wanted it to be brief overview of wrap-ups, aka OSIPs and CSIPs. Um, if you have any questions, type them into the box uh, on your screen. They'll pop up on my end. I'll provide the answers. If I run out of time, I'll be sure to email you the answers. Um, as you know, I do this webinar every month. Uh, it's the first Monday of the month. The next one's going to be May 4th. And we're going to talk about preparing for the loss under a wrap-up program. Um, we're going to talk about everything that needs to be done and how it can make our lives easier and how it can make defending these cases, um, uh, you know, easy breezy. Um, all right, so I will check for the questions now. Let me see. Oh, all right. I don't have any questions, and I'm hoping it's just because there's a technical glitch and your questions didn't show up in my end, but they're going to pop up in my email box later, right? Or maybe my presentation was just so good you have no questions. Anyway, um, if you do, if you think of anything, uh, feel free to give me a call or send me an email. All of my information is on the, the registration that you did for the webinar. Um, I did get some requests from some of you for specific topics that I'm going to be covering in the second half of the year. I'm still taking requests or recommendations. If there's a particular kind of a particular topic that you'd like to see me cover, send me an email, give me a call, and I am going to either incorporate it into one of my webinars or I can do like a special webinar. It can be anything that's construction related or even if there's anything um, just workers' compensation related. Uh, I did get a request to do the Kelly Burns um, calculation. I know this one always gets her head spinning. So I'll be doing that in one of the later webinars. Um, when the reminders go out, you'll know which one it is. But I will hope that you're going to continue to join me for every webinar for the rest of the year. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'll see you next month.